0: Brothers and sisters of the barbecue world, Cowboy Kev here welcoming you to another episode of Man Meat Barbecue with your host, Mikey Kay. Man Meat Barbecue is proudly sponsored by Fire and Smoke Barbecue. If you're looking for a new seasoning, head over to fireandsmokebbq.com. We ship nationwide or pick up a catering menu for those of you in the Chicago area. Also brought to you by Myron Mix and Smoker's you're a caterer competition or just a backyard cooker we have the smoker for you go check them out at myronmixonsmokers.com and now here is your host mikey k north of the border today uh we are going up to canada um and we are hanging out with a gentleman named matt and he is from fidel gastros if you haven't heard of him um i i he, he might be living under a rock i don't know um he makes some amazing food. Uh, he had a really cool TV show for a little bit, right? Um, he was known In my his, youth. In his youth. <laughs> he was known as, as, as the rebel without a kitchen. Um, but he is just an amazing cook, an amazing chef, and he does some really cool things, and he's gone through a, a great thing in his career. So I want to say, Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show, hanging out with us, and uh, chatting food and barbecue. Thanks for having me. Very kind words, my man. My So, um, I've been a, I've been a long time fan, but what kind of, man, what really got you start? Like, what made you want to get into the kitchen and start cooking for people? I think it was just, uh, you know, I enjoyed
1: feeding people. I think it was always fun. I never really saw it as a career path. It was just something I, I kind of did anyways. I think as a, as an Italian Canadian, you were always just taught to make sure people are, you know, leaving your table full and happy and. Uh, I think feeding people was part of a, it's how you created family, it's how you created community, it's how you connected with people, uh, it's also how you showed them a little bit about who you were as well. So I think this was always kind of embedded in my brain, and it wasn't necessarily something that I thought would eventually lead to a career, but uh, lo and behold, here we are.
0: (laughs) Now, when you kind of first started, you started cooking out a commissary, you started doing pop-ups, you started doing all that stuff. How big were pop-ups up there? Because like I know they if- were all yeah, they were like non-existent actually. how did people how did people kind of react to it? because like I know with my with my barbecue company, I do pop-ups, and it's still kind of a rather new thing here, and people sure. are they're confused. they're very confused at the fact that like they'll be like, okay, cool, so where's your restaurant? And it's like, well, I don't have a restaurant. <laughs> And like that's the hardest thing to get past, right?
1: I had to explain to people that I was quitting a job to start this thing called a pop up. and they were like, what's that? And so yeah. there's a lot of education involved, right? Like you, especially when um, I'm not you know, we were very fortunate though, at the time, like timing is everything. Yeah. Um, and when this was all happening, there was something in Toronto, that had started called the, um, the Toronto Underground Market. And it was essentially um, you know, 50 vendors that were all trying to do what we were doing. You know There was one very well-known um, taco pop-up called La Carnita that had really started the, the conversation piece around what a pop-up was. Um, and then we were just like, oh man I I gotta sell sandwiches to make a living now like that was kind of the uh it wasn't so much for anything other than every sandwich I made was was a paycheck essentially a revenue so it was and and I couldn't afford to open up a place so that was the other option so it was kind of done out of necessity but at the time it was still a very like ooh, what's that (laughs) like Whereas now, like, you'll see, like, Walmart is, like, throwing a pop-up in the parking lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's quite, um, I think it's quite overused now. But that's, I mean, listen, that's, like, every industry that has something and then all of a sudden it becomes mainstream. Yeah. Uh, you know, fringe becomes mainstream. Mainstream becomes old and passé. So it's just a matter of trying to tap into these things um, when you're on the the infancy side or trying to be the catalyst of it versus
0: yeah. the end of it. And I mean especially when you're when you're in the in the front lines of it uh, sometimes you have to take your hits you know what I mean you're, you're, you're yeah. going into it and you're trying to explain to people what the hell you're doing and, sure. <laughs> and they're very confused
1: and, and to be honest when you're selling food off of like a fold- out table it's very hard to get people to like spend money on it they assume it's free like the the like you know five dollars for a sandwich <laughs> It's crazy talk. So yeah. it's, uh, it doesn't look or feel like a traditional food business. Um, so there was a lot of like justifications I had to make and education and getting people to understand that, no, this was my livelihood. And I am, yes, this is my career path. I'm selling sandwiches off the table. You yeah. know, and it's, yeah. very, it's
0: very confusing, right, uh, for a lot of people. And then the other problem that they have is like price point. They, lo- they look at you and they're like, well, why is this the price point that it, that it is? And it's like, because well, it took me just as long to make it as, you know, anywhere else did. And I still have. It took me three times as long to make it. I'm like, I haven't slept in a day. Like, yeah. You
1: know, like, and that was very common. And I think in the beginning, because I was, you know, front and center, you know, you treated every sandwich like it was a child almost or every piece of food like <laughs> yeah. it was a child. Where. If someone didn't like it, you took it very personally because you spent so much time making it. And there was a lot of hours that went into developing this food for people. But for the most part, uh, at at least up here, uh, people were A, very receptive to the brand, very receptive to the different nuanced approach to food. Um, And overall, it seemed like a lot of like-minded local businesses
0: were wanting to work with us because it was different and unique. That was going to be my next question uh, was you know I knew did, it <laughs> Did you yeah did you have problems kind of getting people to accept you guys and being like, "Hey, we want to do a pop-up here. We want to basically show up, sell food for a couple hours and then peace out." And we we'll, you know, we set everything up, we break everything down, we deal with health departments and all that stuff and then sure. you know, peace out i know that like here breweries are it's a big market for us breweries are really really big because they don't have food i would
1: agree breweries were definitely the way in for me as well um steam whistle brewery which is um it's funny because i like grew up drinking steam whistles so when i had an opportunity to work with them i was like oh wow that's so full circle and Basically, I don't know if you've ever been to Toronto, but where Steam Whistlebury is, I it's not, right across the street. From, no, okay, so it's it's right across the street from where the Jays play. Okay. Um, and quite often, uh, they get a pretty good rush of people right before, like an hour before gates open for the Jays games because it's really cheap beer. Okay. Um, so basically, I, went, I remember I went in there and I had like this meeting set up and I was like ready to pitch them and they were just like, yeah, just set up before every Jays game. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh. Like that, just like that. Eh? Cool. But it was a, it was a great, uh, foot in the door. At least it gave me regular business, which was super important as well. Yep. Um, and then people knew where to find me at the very least, like on a more regular basis. Um, so it really helped curate that community sense. But to back to your first point of like acceptance, I'd say the people that were the, the most accepting were like interesting venues that were trying to do something different. Um, A lot of marketers and brands and ad agencies saw it as a very unique way into food. Um, So a lot of the acceptance I was fighting for was actually other chefs. Um, I know that there was a lot of people in the, the Toronto food scene that saw what I was doing as like either a shortcut or I got lucky or whatever you want to call it or a threat. You know, whatever. Yeah, sure. It can be all the things. Um, but I, I definitely felt like uh, the, the, the group I had to prove myself the most to uh, was the food community that I was
0: trying to be a part of. You know, yeah. Which was,
1: yeah.
0: I can, I can totally <laughs> see that. I, I'm, I'm in your shoes just, you know, a couple years earlier. Um, and But it's, uh, it's, it's a real thing, though, right? Like, yeah. And, and that's why I've
1: actually, um, my whole career, despite – you know, owning my own restaurant and launching multiple food projects and a catering business that does, you know, very well, I still have a hard time referring myself as a chef. And I, you know, it's uh, it's interesting because I think there's a certain type of mindset that comes with being a chef, both good and bad. And I don't always identify myself in that way. You know, I'm, I might be very much a, a food entrepreneur that can get behind the line, but that can also think, larger and broader as far as the development of the business side of things. But uh, yeah, that's, as far as the acceptance side of what you're saying goes, it's, uh, that was always the the toughest argument or toughest
0: uh, relationship. Toughest sell was yet proving yourself to the food community. And that, that's always uh, one of my things is like, whenever I have friends that come out from other restaurants and stuff like that, it's always like, I'm looking, I'm looking at them on every bite. It's like, okay, is sure, that right. is that bite is that good? Like, did did I hit it? Did I like? You know what I mean? Am I am I in the right lane?
1: <laughs> yeah. Did I? How bad is this, guys? To be honest, I, <laughs> and I think sometimes too, you just have to not that you have to not care, but you just have to navigate your own ship. Really, you know. I think if you are so fixated on approval. It will ultimately be a detriment to your to your growth, or your yeah. you're wanting to find your calling within the, the industry. And you know, I, like I said, I struggled with that for for years, and then I just stopped caring. As much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I, I think you know, I maybe maybe age and experience and and all the other things came with it. But I remember being like, I remember one time I I can't remember what I'd posted on either on Facebook or Instagram and someone was like, yeah, but you're not even a real chef. It's like, buddy, like I'm self-financed, run a restaurant, food truck, catering company, a quick service. I'm on the line on all three of those things every single day, every single week. I'm like, if that's not a chef, then I don't want to be one, you know, because I don't, I don't get a a paycheck every week. I I have to fight for my dollars uh, in this industry.
0: So I, I would, I would, I definitely call you a chef um, I would definitely call you a food entrepreneur and somebody that's making moves in the restaurant industry because, uh, I've been following you for years now. Uh, so, Thank you. Uh, I'm. It, this is a little. You know, I'm a little. I'm, I'm super excited that you're on the podcast. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah. When you, yes, when you, so happy you're I got the to work. I
1: was freaking when, out
0: when you replied <laughs> and you were like, "I'll do it." I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> like I was super stoked. Right on, uh, I love. I love stuff like this. It's great. Um, it was, you know, I've I followed your story. I've, I've been following it, and it, it kind of helped me get to where I went. I, you know, I left, I left a very well-paying job to pursue barbecue for a living. And it's like, cool. dude, I I sell barbecue, and if if I don't sell it, uh, I don't pay my mortgage. I don't pay my car insurance. You know what I mean? Like, I don't pay my bills. So every every pop up, every every time I'm cooking, it's a battle. You know what I mean? It's, it's making yeah. sure that my product is the best product I can get. And the nights that we lose, which it, it happens, like, you know, um, Chicago gets bad weather. So like there's nights where you, know, you get, you know what I mean? Like you get murdered with snow and you're just like, cool. I started cooking, you know, 15 hours ago. I know. I couldn't not do it. Cause what if it didn't snow? you know what i mean like the you worst. run this like weird like this weird game but especially with barbecue food i mean i don't i don't reuse any of my barbecue food so it, it, you know all that stuff kind of in a way gets gets sent to friends and family so they're excited but i don't make any money on it yeah. <laughs> and that's the toughest
1: thing too, right it's a fine balance between waste and business and all all those things you know yep. and it's uh, yep. It's definitely a sweet, I, I remember when I first, like, one of the biggest saving points in my whole career was when I bought a, a vacuum back machine, because I was like, oh my god, this will save me days, <laughs> you know, so, like, little things like that that you just learn along the way, and, um, but it's 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 super tough, like, you've, you've obviously, you've hit on a, on a point that a lot of people will relate to that story, because they've been through it, and they know how many hours it takes or yeah. days it takes sacrifices it takes um and it doesn't always mean it'll be a, a positive outcome
0: unfortunately yeah but you know you keep fighting you you uh you, you go on you move you shake that one off and you you cook again and then you you know some days you win big some days you lose big <laughs> and then yeah, right? i i always True. say like i just need more wins than losses that's kind of that's my goal
1: yeah, the... you want to be a Mike Tyson in there, right? Like,
0: yeah, you know.
1: You need but more uh, but it, what I was gonna say though, you're talking about weather. What's so so interesting about the weather component is it's like a lot of it. Uh, we, you know, we have horrible weather here as well. Yeah. Um, and it, it's interesting because depending on like where my business fell is how I reacted to the weather. So, for example if you had a really bad winter, like that was not good for your restaurant. It was just, or at least my restaurant. Like it was just, it was in a a part of the city where people tended to want to walk more. Um, So if weather was bad, like you noticed a a huge decrease in in foot traffic. But then now, you know, such a, we're kind of operating a, a ghost kitchen right now. And so much of what we do is delivery. So it's like the worse the weather is, the better it is for us. So it's so interesting how, Uh, you know your business model and your philosophy on it changes it's like i used to never have a tv in in, uh, our restaurant and then the raps started making the playoffs so like before i'd be like fuck man not another playoff game i can't take a a hit like this anymore and then all of a sudden we put a big tv up start playing raptor game i'm like i love playoffs (laughs) so it's like you know your your
0: attitude changes based on how it unfortunately serves you as a
1: yeah, as an entrepreneur,
0: you you gotta. I mean, you know, you gotta be able to uh, kind of pivot and move. Because if you can't move yeah. and move, like you're gonna, you're just gonna get hit every single time, right? Um, and making those crucial pivots is, is what what keeps us in business and what keeps us moving. Um, now, what I what I want to ask you is, when did you decide? Like, when did you know that it was right to move from pop ups to a food truck? When did you know? Like, hey, you know what? we've kind of outgrown the pop-ups or, you know, we've done almost, we've done so much at these pop-ups. When did you know, like, it's time to take that next step? I
1: think it was kind of uh, a few things coming together one time. So I think operationally it was making less and less sense to do that kind of extra running around, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Like the, the food trucks seemed like the next logical step in the sense that it still felt very much like the pop-up, the energy levels were the same, but it allowed us to increase our ability to service. Um, Like I said, operationally, it just made a lot more sense. Uh, It was also, like at the time, food trucks weren't really a thing um, at all in Toronto. So I was like, cool, like uh, it's the next version of a pop-up basically. Like the next iteration of that because um, i think like when we did it there was there was like some old school trucks that had been around since the 70s but they were just like chip truck basically okay but then in this like food, our food trucks in trial there was only like maybe maybe eight to ten licenses out at the time now there's like 150 160 and it's so now it's like everyone's like well i've already like the way we approach our food truck business now is incredibly different from how we approached it, you know, back in 2013. So it's like, you just have to really understand the environment and say, this makes sense, this doesn't make sense anymore, and go from there.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, food trucks have become a very big thing, very big thing. Uh, They're becoming much, much larger in Chicago. Chicago has um, a lot of rules and regulations on it Same for you. Same they, they kill it's, it's you ridiculous. on them they, they they very much like really really brutalize you on, on food trucks inside the city limits so a lot of food trucks have kind of moved outside of it they've moved outside right. the actual city and they're starting to hit breweries they're starting to do that and sure that's that's like one of our next steps is we're doing a food trailer and i'm gonna try to bring it you know kind of do it a little bit different in the sense that we're not going to be moving that trailer around quite as much. Sure. And, and that's for us now it's like, you know, the truck is like almost
1: 90% uh, a catering vehicle. Like, okay. um, Like I remember when we first opened the truck, it was all cash sales, like all cash. And then now it's like 60% card and tap and all the other things that aren't cash. So it's like, it's a very different market. Um, and we just realized that it made more after doing it for like eight or nine years. It made more sense to, you know, to your to your point, like to pivot it in the direction of, okay, like let's now use our food truck to do weddings. Let's use our food truck now to do bar mitzvahs and corporate events and big brain collaborations and festivals. But we're actually catering the VIP tent in the back. So, and I think that those opportunities really only come. Uh, two ways one, if you're already a, a big shot name that can just walk into a new scene and pick up that business, or if you've just been doing it for years and years and years and you've established a reputation that allows you to kind of open up new doors, really. Yeah, um, so that's good for you, man. So, when, like, the trailer business is, is tough too because now it's um, like, you have to know how to drive a trailer properly,
0: like, uh, yeah. You know,
1: <laughs> It, have you ever backed one up? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah, 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 no, yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I've definitely, okay. um, I've, I've driven ah. a trailer numerous, numerous yeah. times. I, uh, okay. in, a, in a past life, I was, uh, I, I used to tour a lot. So, uh, okay. van and trailer life was <laughs> was normal. <laughs> Dude, I had a barbecue trailer for, for
1: barbecue caterings, and the first time I brought it home, I, was, I used to park it in my grandmother's driveway, and uh, it took me I think two and a half hours to park it the first time oh I never I didn't know that you had to turn like left to go right yeah right yeah. To the left.
0: everything's opposite and it's, it's a it's a little bit of a mess um and if you don't know how to drive it it will it will drive you <laughs> oh dude I was freaking out I'm like I think I made a big mistake <laughs> <laughs> how, what size trailer you you purchased sorry say it again I said what size trailer did you get?
1: oh man, it wasn't that big because it was only meant for catering. It Maybe the size of like a Volkswagen Golf or something behind my car. But but it was like, it was all open, like it wasn't enclosed. Okay. Uh, It was a convertible trailer, I guess. Uh, But yeah, it just was way more work than I remember or or thinking it was going to be. And I was really worried. I was like, shit, I just spent a little bit of money on this. Like,
0: yeah, we're smoker. we're doing a um, we're doing a twenty four foot trailer. So it's wow. gonna be it's gonna be a nice long beast. Uh it'll have a smoker on it and all that stuff. So it's gonna be wow, a wow. it's gonna be a little bit of a beast. It's gonna be fun to drive, though. <laughs> that's insane. Is it uh
1: what are those things called? The silver bullets, what are those
0: called? Airstream. Is it oh, an airstream? It's or not it's an airstream, it? no. It will not be an airstream, but it'll it'll be pretty, I hope. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you, dude. Um yeah, so you—I mean—I just think your your story is so cool because you went from the pop-ups, you went to a food truck, then you then you did you you eventually opened the restaurant. Now you have you have the, you have the catering, you have the restaurant, uh, you still have the food truck. You guys are just doing some awesome stuff, and I think the food scene in Toronto has always been so amazing. There's been some great oh, chefs yeah. that have come out of Toronto, and I think it's a very underrated food city. I'll be—I think it's very much underrated, and I think yeah. there's um it's a very uh what's the word I'm looking for um passionate food city you know what I mean that people don't think of yeah. as a food city it's funny because
1: I've been very lucky that I've been able to travel a lot for for work um and there's been many times where I've been somewhere and had like the national dish of that place
0: yeah and been like oh, I've
1: had this back home and it's like just as good like so it's I think we have Quite a diverse palette, um, I think, uh, and that really just goes to the fact that we've had so many different cultures um, set roots uh, and foundations in our city. Because you know, obviously, it's very easy for them those cultures to then transform into to to a food scene, um, yep. and then over years you allow you yeah, allow like young creative talent to like really tap into those flavors and then turn them into the next iteration of that. So I feel like we're in that next iteration right now. Um, my biggest concern about Toronto, and I'm sure Chicago is very similar, is that it's such an expensive city to operate in that I think, you know, more and more and more we're seeing really great places say it's not worth it. And at the end of the day, the the community of food suffers because these, fantastic establishments just can't operate anymore
0: well i think that's very similar like you said it's very similar to chicago and it is uh, in the sense that um startup costs are ridiculously high to get into restaurants it's extremely expensive if you don't have good investors or if you don't have enough money to do it yourself trying to get into the restaurant industry is not easy no matter how good of a chef you really are or how good of a cook you are um, sure. or how cool of a concept you're, you know, you, you have. And I think that could be why right now Chicago's getting that pop-up scene. It The pop-up scene is growing so much because restaurants are expensive and we just like, I, I personally can't afford to, you know, yeah, to self fund a, a barbecue restaurant. I just can't do it. Yeah, it's it, you know you you
1: really look at the offering and how you can tailor your creativity to fit within a foundation that you can that just makes sense, you know. And I, and like I said, I, I you know, it's so, so unfortunate actually. I've actually never been to Chicago. I was supposed to be there three times and all three times something has happened to cause a, a situation for me not to go. And it's like it's like the one city that I feel like I, I can't believe I haven't been and I've been all over the U.S. Um, I, I've actually seen most of the U.S. So it's just crazy to think that I haven't uh, haven't been to Chicago yet. Which you gotta come to Chicago. So high, high on my list. I know it's great. It's, it's actually I'm almost embarrassed to say
0: it. Like that's how bad it is. We'll feed you. I'm embarrassed. to say it, Right? We'll feed you. We'll feed you. We'll get. We'll, there get, we go, right? we'll get we'll get some uh, some good beer in you. We'll show you a good time.
1: I love beer. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of beer. I think, um, but like the beer scene in Toronto, like is finally starting to get there too. I know like I used to go to Detroit a lot and Detroit's craft beer scene was so advanced, um, like six years ago, comparatively like where we were, like Michigan in general, the craft beer scene was. I think the first time I ever had a sour beer was in, it was in Detroit and like we just started getting sour beers here. Um, so it's like, it just shows you like how, certain parts of the city uh, of north america can gravitate to certain concepts before others like you know you're saying pop-ups are really big now in chicago it's like i I couldn't imagine anyone saying that they want to do a pop-up in toronto anymore because it feels like it's been done so many times like to do the next iteration of it to make it feel unique and cool would would actually take it to be you would almost need it would be more elaborate than a restaurant. You would almost have to go in the complete opposite direction of what where Pablo started, which was like grassroots and like simple and bare bones. Now it would have to be like, it needs to be like, you know, um, Penn Teller needs to be there, <laughs> and, like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it would have to be a spectacle almost. Um, because yeah, you just, you, you don't see it as much. You see, you know, you see places take over like temporary spots um which is pretty common but yeah you've seen less and less like like pop-ups happen
0: yeah now would you say like the food scene in Toronto with it being so expensive do you, do you think the creativity not that it's lacking but are you are, are you fearing that the creativity will start to dwindle because people won't keep pushing the bar because the way that I kind of look at it is when when rents are cheap and and stuff's a little bit cheaper you can be more creative because you have a little bit more of that freedom, right? Cause if you do fail a little bit, it doesn't cost you quite as much as if you fail and rents really high. <laughs> but you know, I think you make
1: a great point. I think I actually made, um, a top 10 list when, uh, right before the new year. So I was like the top 10 things that happen in the food industry. Um, and then I made it very like Toronto specific because I, I can only really speak to my own city. Um, yeah. but there was like the top 10 things that happened in the last decade that really affected and impacted the food scene. And one of the things I talked about was the 2008 recession. Um, because I was like, you almost needed a recession for really expensive, elaborate concepts that really just lacked substance and depth in their food to kind of fail. And then you saw this surge of chef driven and cocktail driven menus um, that were like, okay, we're gonna build a restaurant. We're just gonna demo what's here, shame the wood raw and put it up. <laughs> it's like, like you, you know, you just weren't so, um, I, I think you're, you nailed it when you said, what you said about, you know, things being, people taking a little bit more risks with creativity when there's less financially at stake. But now there's the other side of things where I think you're starting to see big food companies invest in these startup concepts because they see that as something that they can't offer, but there's clearly a market for it. So I don't know if creativity is suffering as a result of this kind of pendulum shift in, in, in you know the industry itself at least in toronto but i think the way that people are getting there are is, is a little different like there's a there's a city uh, that i went to university or sorry college
0: uh, yeah university
1: <laughs> college wherever we all get it okay sorry yeah <laughs> trying to you know canadian to eric can, uh translations here yeah. <laughs> um, So uh, there's a city uh, about an hour outside of Toronto called Hamilton. Um, By by no means is Hamilton a big city at all. It's about half a million people, whereas Toronto's like, you know, three million people. Yeah. Um, But you're seeing a lot of Toronto chefs move out to Hamilton because for a fraction of the price, they can own their own restaurant. They might even be able to like own part of the building with the landlord. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot more opportunity. Uh, And and I feel like, you know, I was talking about Detroit, but I was, you know, very similar thing was happening in Detroit when I was there five, six years ago. A lot of chefs from a lot, like there were so many New York chefs that I met in Detroit when I was there because they were just like, shit, I can't, I can't afford to open up a restaurant in New York. Like Detroit, I bought the building. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, and the block.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Back then. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: so I think, um, like every industry, there's these peaks and valleys um, but the food industry has to ride those peaks and valleys. I think, I think now we're seeing, I was just doing a talk a couple of weeks ago and someone was like, do you feel, cause I was explaining how we've essentially established like a, a bit of a ghost kitchen concept, um, where I'm using a lot of you know digital sales for, for takeout and delivery and stuff. And someone was like, well, do you feel like that type of business is ruining the industry? I'm like, you know, that's a very fair question. Uh, but I think the better way to look at it is the technology exists no matter what. So you got to ask yourself what side of the argument you want to be on. The one that's trying to resist it or the one that's trying to, you know, use it and then just innovate alongside it. And if you think about it, like music did that. 20 years ago i don't know how old yeah. you are but there was this thing called napster back in the day I oh yeah no remember i remember napster. napster i remember
0: Napster.
1: oh yeah. <laughs> so like remember like all, all the all the, the big labels all they did was try and fight napster and bring napster down and and next that thing you know there's well. like that works phenomenally I think, uh, <laughs> you know and then 10 new ones opened up right after it. so i i think um it's very important to have your finger on the pulse to see what is what are your end users like your customers what are they using what are they gravitating towards and i think so often chefs are trying to tell the market what it needs uh i think we need to just do a better job of listening to the market what they want
0: now are you you, i don't know if these exist up there but is it like grubhub like uber eats and stuff like that is that is that kind of yeah uber eats is the big one up here
1: um foodora is another big one up here uh, Ritual is a,
0: is a pickup service. Um, I don't think we have Grubhub, but I've heard of Grubhub before. Grubhub is big in uh, Chicago. That's <laughs> why I figured I'd ask. Uber Eats is a big one. Um, DoorDash is another one. DoorDash,
1: yeah, we got DoorDash, yeah. Um,
0: and, got and those stores. are, those are all very interesting concepts to me. Um, obviously for us, for right now where we're at in our business model, it doesn't work. Um, because I can't just cook brisket and wait for hope somebody to to buy it
1: <laughs> no i i totally get that right it has so, to make sense and for me like the way i've actually seen it is we we're we are in a new part of the city right now where, where we've opened this kitchen and coming in may there's going to be like a, a big collaborative effort between us and this brewery that's actually moving next door so to be honest i'm only doing this delivery model to a get a better sense of the neighborhood um and b it's going to be an add-on like, it's a secondary model, not a, not a primary model, and, um, but yeah, like, I think it has to make sense for you, right, like, I, um, like, our, our restaurant used to be really well, like, is really well known for the brunches that we did, like, brunch was kind of our thing,
0: yeah, and,
1: uh, for the longest time, I had a heart. like, now we're doing brunch delivery, but, like, being able to pack and store and ship eggs to make sure they're still hot when they get there, like, not an easy task, you know, so, like, we've, Really, had to play with things like packaging and understanding which dishes would would travel really? better than other dishes, and and, and then also like, uh, you know, getting people's mindset, wrap it around and be like, hey, if you loved our restaurant, keep in mind this is not going to be the exact same experience as that. Like, you need to, you need to manage those expectations and be like, listen, like this is a delivery service, thanks. so like it's going to be
0: different than how you had at the restaurant. And it's also a delivery service that you're not fully in control of. You know what I'm saying? Like once that food kind of leaves your kitchen, I mean, you're not fully in control of it. Um, I'm not in control of
1: it at all. Like I have no idea. It's a guy that just picked it up or a lady that just comes and picks it up and who knows what else they they did on their their way. Yeah. (laughs) I always have have a vision every time someone picks up a package – um to to deliver. I always think of that scene in Ace Ventura where he's ripping that that UPS yeah. box down the halls. I'm like, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> right. There goes my food,
0: here it goes, here it goes. Yeah, right? Like now what I was everything upside down. What made you kind of what made you go into into the brunch scene? Besides the fact well, that I, brunch I love is brunch. So <laughs> fun. I sorry? Besides the fact that brunch is so fun. Uh it's one of the that's things, it, though. It's one of the things that we actually do as a barbecue company, which is so weird, right? We do four brunches a year. Cool. And the reason we only do four is because we want to make sure that they're like, it doesn't just become a, oh, well, we can get it at any time. Like, you know, it's sure. a special event, kind of cool. And we're one of the, I, I don't know of any other barbecue restaurant actually around us that does brunch. Cool. So what we do is we do, you know, we do a play with breakfast and barbecue food. So we're doing like brisket, biscuits, and gravy. Cool. And we're yeah, doing like smoked chicken and waffles. You know what I yeah, mean? Like great. That, that's love the kind it. of shit that we're doing. And it, it's becoming, it, it's becoming a nice hit. Like people are loving it. I think for me, like
1: the reason why brunch, uh I gravitated so well to it, it was to your point, right? It's fun. Um, a lot of people just enjoy the whole experience around brunch. It's something that I enjoy eating. So for me, it's like, I never want to create something that I couldn't personally enjoy myself. That's why I don't try and make, you know, molecular gastronomy. <laughs> Cause it's like, I don't enjoy eating it. Like I don't want to eat a bubble. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. eat
0: a frozen bubble. That's not <laughs> you don't, you don't I like, like uh, a strawberry. That's really a tomato. Yeah, cause like yeah, that, thats is, the one thing that this like is essence. Yeah, like <laughs> I can't like I don't know. To me, it's like if I bite into something and I think I think it's gonna be one thing, but it's a whole other thing. Like to me, that's it—it's it, a mind fuck, and I can't do it. I remember one time reading off a
1: menu. It said it actually said the words. I can't remember what the dish was, but it said deconstructed, reconstructed. <laughs> and I was like, doesn't that just
0: mean it's the as is? Big, yeah, like <laughs> what, you, you take it apart, put it back together, and leave it there. <laughs> like. Didn't you just start there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but
1: um yeah, so the reason why like the brunch thing for me was such a big a big piece of our business was like I really did just love brunch. And that was kind of my even if I don't go out to dinner that often anymore, I still really enjoy going out for brunch. And I, I you know, now I'm just so lucky. Like I, I've been hired by a few restaurant groups to like go consult on their brunch menus. Um I've gotten to travel and see brunch in other cities. I wrote a brunch cookbook with my yeah. My, my life partner. And it's just like, for us, brunch just came so naturally um, that I just really have fun doing it. And I love to only eat once a day. So
0: <laughs> Br- brunch is the, the fastest way to get in there. I feel like brunch breaks all the rules too, which is nice. You know what I mean? That yeah, does. You can do so much because there's no, like, when you think bre- traditional breakfast food, you're going to think like, okay, well, it's traditional breakfast food. Then when you think like lunch and dinner food, people have a certain expectation of, of what they want or you know, you know, what, they're, what they're expecting to see on a menu. When you get a brunch menu, you can twist and turn and still put out amazing product without having that concept of, okay, I know what's going to be on this menu. 100% you can satisfy the sweet tooth you can
1: f- satisfy the person who wants to eat healthy the satisfy the person who wants deep fried bacon covered yep whatever you know and and I think that's the beautiful thing about brunch in fact I don't, I don't know if but if you don't have a copy of my brunch book I'm gonna send you a copy of the brunch book I but don't
0: the, but I'd love one okay
1: so I'll send you a copy but the first line in the book is breakfast is a meal and brunch is a culture and it's like that's, that's so said, true for me, but, right, like it is, it sets the tone for the whole book that a lot of times, you know, the rules don't apply in brunch. Um, a lot of people are very habitual about their brunches. So, for example, you might want to try a different restaurant every time you go out for dinner. But when it comes to your brunches, you have your spot. A lot of and people do Chances that.
0: are,
1: you know what I mean? And then, chances are, you even not only do you have your spot, you have the thing that you get. And you have the people you do it with. In fact, you might even have very specific socks you wear when you do brunch. Or shirts you wear. Like, you might have a team brunching shirt, you know? Like, we used to get a lot of bachelorette parties for right. brunches. So, like, they had been partying all night. And okay, makes sense. And, like, like we, it was, became the place for, for that. Like, it was – it's just, like, it's a – it brings people together that want to just have a great time and there happens to be a meal in front of them over there.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And it also comes with alcohol. So that, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. that, that, that helps. And, you know, back at, to the beginning of this conversation when, when you were like, you know, I don't, you don't call yourself a chef or sometimes you have a hard time calling yourself a chef. What I will say right now is, you know, you're able to make a perfect egg and that right there makes you a chef Ugh. and I'm going to get so much shit right now. Everyone's going to be like, fuck you. No, it does. Yes. Yes. It does. If you make the eggs are one of the hardest fucking things to make and not fuck it up. It really is. I mean, you've I've heard Gordon Ramsay. I've heard ton of chefs, ton of the chefs that I look up to that are like, dude, one of the hardest things to make is a perfect egg. And it really is because if you overcook it, you're fucked. If you undercook it, you're fucked. You have yes. to hit it every single time. <laughs> And if you're somebody that's making eggs for a brunch, you're not making one egg because no. you can't make one egg cuz guess what? You'll never make any goddamn money. You have to have the egg, egg station po- is
1: the hardest station to run in yeah. a brunch. Like that you need a very very solid cook yeah. running your egg station. Like poaching eggs on the fly is not easy at all, no. you know, and I, to there's so many factors that can go wrong like your water's too hot. Your water's too cold. Your water's too crowded. Too much vinegar, like it. And then you know, it, it, like sunny side
0: eggs are for, for me. Like how I lo- love my eggs, like doing sunny sides. And see, no, um, I, see, I want. I figured that we just figured it out. That that's why we connect. Because I'm a sunny. Is side that what egg. it is? Yeah. yeah, that's what it oh, is. Yeah,
1: you gotta have a buddy up.
0: <laughs> yes. When I was a
1: kid, my dad used to make me eggs after hockey practice all the time. And uh, one thing he would do is he would. Cr- you know crack the egg in the pan whatever but to make sure that all the whites were cooked without cooking any of that overcooking the yolk he would like take oil and pour it over the the whites um from okay. the pan like he'd tilt the pan on its side okay, with a and spoon.
0: almost like and just kind of like
1: spoon yeah like you know just like when you're basting a steak that's yeah. kind of in a iron, right like you would do that with eggs and like you'd be surprised like i would just do that on the line and people that went to culinary school were like what are you doing i'm like i'm cooking my egg faster (laughs) what are you doing you know like because like a lot of people will just turn up the heat but then all you're doing is really just charring the bottom of your egg and yeah the heat distribution isn't there so like i would just put that oil over the eggs but um my my favorite station was always working the grill uh on brunches like i love being able to you know put all my pancakes down and then put all my meat in between my pancakes like just i was, you have to be super organized all the time yeah it's
0: the i mean it's working a brunch station is not um it's not easy uh it 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 definitely it it takes a lot of organization and it takes that a does. lot of um a lot of you have to have a lot of times running in your head like simultaneously. <laughs> A thousand percent,
1: and then but then your day's done at four o'clock, five o'clock, you're done, you're packed yep. up, you can go home, you can have like a normal life, kind of you know. Like, kind if I could do of. it all over again, I would have had just a brunch spot. Like, if I could, I don't know if there's a market for that here in Toronto, maybe Chicago there is, but
0: uh, yeah.
1: if I could have one thing, it would be a seven day a week brunch spot.
0: You know, we have we have a lot of places that that just do brunch, um, and they do very, very well. You know, we have a lot of places that just do breakfast, and yeah. I mean, there's places that are literally closed by like 10:30, and there's there. Yeah, wild,
1: right? Like, it's you know, for me, um, I feel like your city in order for a city to do really well in the the seven day a week brunch game, you need to you know have a lot of tourism. I think personally, like, you really need to tap into your everyday crowd and then people that come to that spot because they've heard, you know the lore
0: of your eggs <laughs> and you got to I mean, you got to look at it. Tourism a big one for Chicago, but um, Chicago also has a lot of people that work really weird hours. Um, sure. That's another really great point. Big industry people, you know what I mean? People that are working at bars, people that are working at restaurants and, and you know, some sure. of us don't start working till four o'clock, you know what I mean? So if you want, you're, you're not going to, you're never going out to dinner. So now you go out for breakfast or you go out for brunch. Yeah, no, it's fair. It's you know, super fair. You know that that's a that's a big thing, and and then the weirdos like like I have Mondays off sometimes, and that that's the that's the nice thing where like I can go get shit done. <laughs> right, you're cramming your Friday, Saturday, and Sunday into one day. Yeah, pretty much. You, you know, you get it all done. It's and all the you, feelings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to get it all done, and then you keep going. But keep going, <laughs> man. I love it. It, it. It's just it's what we do, and it, you got to keep 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 the ball moving. And, I mean, you know it just as much as anyone because you have so many balls in the air. You have so much so much stuff that you have to keep moving that sometimes you need that, like, day or two where you're like, I'm literally not doing anything.
1: <laughs> I, I I used to downplay downtime. Uh, but, like, balance is one of the most important things you can integrate into your, your work life. Yeah. Because... Man, you know, I used to, people used to tell me like all the time that, like, uh, you know, be careful, Matt, you're going to burn out, you're going to burn out. You're going to be like, no, I am relentless. <laughs> yeah. I am the ultimate warrior of cooking. What happened? And then you're like, oh, wait, no, I, I actually am very human and uh, I think I might burn out eventually. So it's, uh, I, I think it's so, it's so important to be able to just take a step back and say, like, I'm not going to work today. It's not going to do it. hard yeah it's very hard it takes time you can't just if because if that's your mindset day one you're like fuck this guy's never gonna or this person's never gonna succeed and you won't so like yeah you you need to have a a very relentless kind of approach when you first get started but at a certain point the reason why you work that hard is so that you can take time for yourself and not feel obligated to have to work all the time you know
0: so in your, in your whole career, what would you say was your, like, favorite time frame? Like, through all the stuff that you did, what would you say is kind of like, if you look back at it now, being like, you know what, this was like, it might have been hectic, it might have been crazy at the time, but it really was like the good old days.
1: <laughs> right? Well, I think launching our food truck was pretty wild because... Now, the first food truck or the second? Truck. The first food truck. because. Okay when we launched the first one we also had like a tv show a tv camera crew following me around yeah by total fluke, like the timing just worked out so it's like i'm launching this truck i'm 27 i have my own tv show literally people are just every time we part somewhere people were just like oh my god a food truck you know what i mean so it was i don't remember a lot of those days because they're they just happen in a bit of a blur but um they were quite um overwhelming as far as like the experience is concerned like if i could go back in time and watch all that as like a fly on the wall i'd be like wow you could watch the tv show well that's true (laughs) (laughs) that's really true i could go back and do that um another really fun thing i did was um i think it was like 2016 um i was invited the show got picked up by the asian uh food network like food network asia so they flew me out to like singapore and malaysia and philippines and awesome. jakarta yeah. and hong kong yeah and i did like a tour and i did like a dinner pop up in each one of those cities at these like major and i think like in the moment there was just so much go 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 that i didn't have a chance to stop and go like this is the coolest fucking thing I've ever done in my life. Like, yeah, I remember it didn't like hit because they flew me out. uh, They flew me and my girlfriend out um, first class and I'd never flown first class in my life. And I was like, this is
0: awesome.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Like I was such a newbie in the seats. Like I was trying, touching all the buttons.
0: You're like, Oh, this is great. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Right. Like I was, I remember in the middle
1: of the night, I ordered a sherry and a cheeseburger just for fun. Um, I just, I woke up, ordered it, ate them, and then went back to sleep. But then I remember being on the on the flight home and, and and I'll be honest, I'm I'm gonna stick by this. I was like, okay, now that I've experienced this, the goal is to have this not be a one-off, but to have it be an opportunity that's regularly presented to me. And you know, I, I've never been able to go back to to Southeast Asia to do something like this, but I've had other very interesting opportunities pop up that are, tra- I love to travel. Like travel is a huge part of, I think development as a, as a self-taught shop. And I would, yeah, I would say that, I mean, like I went to Argentina in November, uh, like next November and yeah. Argentina is somewhere I've been wanting to go forever. And I'm going to go um, learn like asado barbecue in the fields of, of Argentina with that's the Guapo awesome. Cowboys, you know, and I, and I can't wait to do that. Like that's been something, that's been on my list for a long time, but I think like your appreciation, like my ability to slow down and observe things a little better, is because you know I'm I'm a little bit older now. Um, I'm a little. I just I, I think differently. I'm not as like boom boom boom, and then we're gonna do this, and then we're gonna do that. You know, like yeah, it's like you know, take it all in, really appreciate the moments as they're given to you. Um, so little things like that, I know that I, as I'm presented with these opportunities, I just, I experience them a little differently. I, I take them, I take a, a moment for myself to really like, ref, like not reflect on them, but like enjoy them. I think sometimes when these moments happen, they you are just so in them that you don't actually stop and enjoy them. And yeah. I think it's so important.
0: Because no. then why are you doing right like why are you doing it of course if if you're you're not not enjoying it you're not yeah like what's the point now when you were in southeast asia and you were doing all the pop-ups and stuff like that was there at at any point was there a difficult time of sourcing like sourcing things that you had back at home that were super easy to source where you were like oh i need this and they were like yeah that's not gonna happen (laughs) you know what it's really funny you say that so like
1: i had to I had a menu and then I had to like, understand how the menu would have to adjust based on where you went. And like, I remember when we were in Singapore, everything was available. Like every everything you wanted, it was like, boom, what do you want? you got it, you know. Then right from Singapore, we were in um, Manila, within the Philippines. And like, I must've cleared out all of the Philippines of all their fennel. Like, I don't think <laughs> there's, any fennel, they're still in a fennel drought because of me. Like, it was not easy to get. But then, like, you go to the, like, the, the, the fish market, and you're like, wow, like, I can get some really cool, cool stuff here, too. So, it- but then they were getting Canadian beef. I thought that was so funny. Like, the beef I got was phenomenal. And they're like, oh, yeah, it's Alberta beef. And I was like, that's crazy. Like, they're flying in Alberta beef on the regular, like, to serve there. So, it was, um, I-, I think... And then you have to think about like religious connotations as well. Like, so when I went to, um, uh, Kuala Lumpur, which is in Malaysia, I didn't realize that it was so, uh, predominantly or prominently, uh, Muslim. So like I had to take all the pork off our menu and we had to adjust in that way. And it's like, I had no idea, like yeah. before I got there. So, and then you couldn't cook with any alcohol either because of it. Um, so I had to like See, change. think about that. Yeah, like so. One of my, one of my, I did a beef, uh, a beef rib that had a like a Moroccan barbecue sauce, but used dark beer to kind of give it a little extra depth and body. Couldn't, couldn't do that. So, little things like that, you just have to be like, some chefs will hear that and be like, oh, forget it. I'm not cooking it. It's like, well, no, I mean, definitely still cook. I'll just make adjustments. It's fine.
0: Yeah.
1: we're going to die. Like, it's not, it's not a big deal. You know, you just, you change them on the go. And I remember we did one, um, one change that we made it actually made the dish better and the the city after that we were like let's just do what we did last, last city like yeah because we were doing the first two cities we did like these grilled beef hearts with a chimichurri sauce but um it, it was not that i wasn't allowed to do it it was that it was it was kind of frowned upon um or just not seen as something that would be taken very well when i went to to kolo so we switched it up, and I did, like, Kentucky Fried Chicken Lovers with okay. it, and, but still with the chimichurri on, and it was, a, like, a better dish. Um, and I was like, you know what, for the last city, we should do the Kentucky Fried Chicken Lovers again, because it's, like, it's just that much better,
0: and they were like, great, it's easier to source <laughs> than beef on <laughs> Yeah, ones. So, I mean, a- that, that, w- that would be, like, my weird thing is, like, if you go somewhere, it's, like, are you able to source what I need, and then did their flavor pat like is their palate like is that what they want
1: well that's just it right i mean but that same mentality can be applied to anywhere right like i remember i, I did a i did a pop-up out of in uh, victoria texas which was about an hour outside of austin exactly. and i did um smoked barbecue uh, like short ribs but i did it with like this moroccan sauce and this moroccan rub and the rub had like crumbled up pistachios on the ribs. And one guy was like, you put nuts on my barbecue. <laughs> I was like, I'm so sorry, sir. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to get <laughs> shot. This is yeah, Texas. It really tasty though, I promise you. And he ended up really liking it. But it's funny because it's like, there's. I think um, it's really important to understand tradition, but then be able to have a justifiable uh, reason for kind of messing with that tradition a little bit and giving people a new opportunity to try new things.
0: So what what uh, what's next for you?
1: Well, right now um, we are built, like we just finished building out our brand new catering commissary kitchen. So I'm very excited about that because it's literally um, everything I've ever needed under one area, which is so rare for us. Um, and then in May, we are launching this really big collab with a, a local brewery, which is really fun. It's, Essentially, um, they're our neighbors at where our kitchen is. They have a 200 seat patio, but no kitchen. We have a kitchen, but no
0: no spots. 200 seats.
1: <laughs> yeah, no 200 seats. So we are we are marrying our our efforts there. Um, and then I've got about two other collaborative there's actually projects that are coming on time.
0: There's a there's a brewery in Chicago that actually kind of did the exact same thing of kind of what you guys are doing. Uh, basically, there was a catering company next door. There's a brewery, brewery has no kitchen, Catery, they're a catering company, now they serve I think like Thursday, Friday, Saturday there, they just cut, open, exactly the, they cut open a wall, they literally cut open just like a serving window through the wall, and that's it, and they just search through it. It's amazing. We literally have a,
1: a, a tiny little hallway that connects us, and that's yeah. it. Um, but like the next two or three projects I'm doing are collaborative in nature. So I'm actually a big believer that um, this year is going to be the year where if you want to grow, it, you need to find people that you like working with and really people that um, want to grow in the same positive way that you do, because I think you kind of need to, uh, for all the reasons we've talked about.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you, right have, when you have those people that are seeing eye to eye with you, it, it, you grow. Absolutely. Well, if two people are at the same goal
1: and then you're both succeeding simultaneously, it just makes your journey that much easier and more like achievable, right? Like now you have two separate entities saying this is the goal the desired
0: goal. Yeah. Right? So it's great. I mean, I think it's fantastic. Matt, dude, I want to say thank you so much for coming on the podcast, hanging out with us. So I like to end my podcast in, in a very weird kind of interesting way. And I'm going to make you think one more time. If you could go back to the beginning of your career and give yourself three tips to help shorten your learning curve, what would those three tips be? Uh,
1: Okay. Tip one, definitely get more sleep, man. (laughs) Do not like just sleep more. Um, Step two, maybe when people were offering help, listen, listen, and take them up on that help and don't feel like you need to do it all on your own. Um,
0: tip three, you know, don't cut off your fingers. No, you'll need them. <laughs> yeah. The, they, they help, right? Uh, they, they definitely help, help. guys. If you haven't yeah, checked him yeah. out, make sure you make sure you guys go to his website, go to, uh, on, on Instagram. He's Vidal gastro, uh, Vidal gastros. Um, super easy. You also do a YouTube thing. Um, you have a, obviously you guys have a website, you have all the stuff. If you're in the Toronto area, you can go check out his food, pick up his catering, find his food truck, uh, go pick write up me a him, letter, write him a letter. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. it in a bottle. Uh, but basically go, go check out his food. You definitely want to check out his brunch food. He makes amazing brunch food. Pick up his book. Where can they pick up the book if they want to pick that up? You know, it, probably the easiest is, uh, is the, the good old-fashioned Amazon. Uh, <laughs> you
1: can't go wrong there. It's a it good uh, old-fashioned old Amazon. You can't – oh. that old mom-and-pop shop. The old mom-and-pop shop. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, again, thank you for having me on. It's, you know, meeting you and talking today. It's one more reason why I need to get my ass uh, over to Chicago. So, Come to Chicago,
0: uh, dude. We'll feed you. We'll some be beer. It'll be a great time. Can't wait. <laughs> right
1: on, man. Thanks so much.